Welcome to Honest Conversations in Black and White. I'm Virgil Walker. I'm here with Dr. Scott Annual. Uh, I only throw that doctor on every once in a while. I, I, I don't want you to get used to the honorific. Hey, at least it. you pronounce my last name wrong because <laughs> there's like there's people out there right now kind of in a habit of doing that. You know? what, 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 what presentations of that are you hearing? I, I'm just hearing rumors. I haven't heard it personally. I'm just. Yeah, there, there are a number yeah. of them. Annual, like Daniel, annual, yeah. an, annual, 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 annual. Yeah. yeah. Say it for yeah. us. Annual. Annual. Like, like Daniel. Daniel without the D. Yeah. That's the easiest yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, that's easy for me. And it's Polish for angel. Okay. And oh. so obviously. <laughs> I'm going to leave that I one I tell alone. my kids all the time, you need to leave up to live up to your name, yeah. not the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I'm going to leave that one alone. I'll let you roll with that. That said, I'm excited for our conversation. And that's what these are, more conversations uh, than they are kind of a, you know, a, a any kind of intense interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, man, I just want to have a, a great conversation with you about the subject of a brand new book that we have uh, printed from G3 Press called Musing on God's Music, Forming Hearts of Praise with the Psalms. And so, uh, that's there. That is by none other than Scott Annual. And uh, man, I'm excited about this for a number of reasons. Um, this book, uh, especially the study guide, uh, has really shaped, formed uh, us. My, by us, I mean my wife and I. Uh, as 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 a study guide is available, mm-hmm. uh, and we've been we we here at uh, at at G3 at Praise Mill at our church uh, have been actually walking through the contents of this book. Um, and it's been an incredible blessing. So let me start here and just ask you the question of what what were you thinking? What was the driving force that caused you to say this is something that uh, that I want to write? Kind of kind of give us that background. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's been actually many years in the works. Um, I I taught a couple times a class at Southwestern Seminary on the Psalms. Uh, and so just really digging into that. And really, it was during COVID, having a little extra time during lockdown, that I really started to sink more into uh, into the Psalms, into into some of the, mo- the, the more recent scholarly uh, work on the Psalms. Um, and, you know, so, so both it was, it was that and sort of doing the work, but then also this, my concern that we don't sing the Psalms anymore. And why is that? Uh, especially in, in in Baptist churches, um, we sing we sing hymns, and then there's that whole conversation. But we don't we don't tend to sing psalms. Right. Why is that? Right. Or if we do sing the psalms, we tend to gravitate towards a couple. You know, Psalm twenty three, Psalm one hundred. Right. There are come you know a couple of more familiar ones, and and so then those two things coming together, I began to realize. Okay, I think one of the primary reasons we don't sing the psalms is because we don't understand them. Yeah. Yes. We we look at you know, a lot of the Psalms that are dark or that seem Jewish or, you know, that, that don't seem to speak my heart language or whatever. Right, right. And we don't, so we don't get the whole point of them and therefore, uh, therefore we don't, we don't sing them. Yeah. So I saw this as a good opportunity to, you know, to follow Paul's command to sing Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Right. There's debate over what those terms mean, but at minimum it means sing Psalms. So. Right. I'm not a, a, an exclusive. I don't believe you know in, in exclusive psalm singing, but I don't believe in exclusive hymn singing either. Right. We need to be singing the psalms, and as I argue in the book, even the psalms then ought to be the standard for the new things that we write. So, it really was out of a, a desire to help God's people, help Christians understand the God's intent. 
in the, the, the composition of the Psalms and the organization of the 150 Psalms so that we recognize the necessity and value of singing them, reading them, meditating upon them, using them in daily life and worship. Yeah, this is good. I, there's so many questions that I have, but I want to set it up by saying this. One of the biggest challenges, I think, for a number of people when mm-hmm. whenever you get to talking about uh, the way that the church functions, how we worship, biggest issue, what are we singing? Yeah. Um, what are we singing? How are we singing? Does it, and you mentioned kind of, does it speak to my own heart language? Right. Um, you know, th- that's more, more times than not the kind of the milieu that we, that we get in when we're talking about music and, and the choice of music for, for particularly for worship. Um, as it relates to kind of Psalm singing, one of the things you did last week, as, as I sat kind of in the class with, mm-hmm. with you, you kind of walked through, uh, the and you mentioned it in, in in the lead up. You talked about the the forming of the psalms, like how the psalms are written, yes, um, and the nature by which we, if we're going to write contemporary music, um, what that the the manner in which that should be put together. Can mm-hmm. you kind of unpack that a little bit? Yeah. So there's a couple things. I mean, you know, another one of the side benefits of this of this work and the goals of the book is that in looking at the Psalms and the primary purpose of the Psalms, it also speaks more broadly to music and worship generally. Right. And one of the critical points that I want to make is that, you know, again, we tend to approach the Psalms like we do all worship music today, and that is we, we, we think that music or that poetry meant to be sung its only benefit or its central benefit is that it gives language to the authentic expression of our hearts. Right. That's kind of how we approach it. Yeah, we do. And if and if that's if that's our perspective, then why would we sing something that doesn't reflect what's already in my heart? Right. And what I'm trying to show people, because we're dealing here with inspired scripture, mm-hmm. so why did God give us these psalms? Well, in particular, Psalms one and two, which serve sort of as the as the introduction to the whole five books, the whole hundred and fifty Psalms, they help to help us to see that the Psalms are not meant merely to give expression to the authentic expression, uh, authentic feelings of our hearts, right. but rather God has given us the Psalms just like He gave us all of Scripture to form us and sanctify us. Mm-hmm. So I make the point earlier in the book, we don't approach any other parts of Scripture in the way that we typically approach the Psalms. Right. Like, we don't go to the law and say, I'm reading this to give expression to the authentic you know, feelings of my heart. Right. We don't go to the epistles or to the prophets and say, I'm reading these things just to give me language for what I already believe. Right. No, we recognize Scripture is profitable to teach, correct, instruct, discipline, form us into godliness, into maturity— the same is true with the Psalms. The Psalms have been given to us to form and shape us. And so then the question the question that becomes, well, how? And there's a number of ways that I flesh out in the book, and one of them is what you alluded to a moment ago. I don't, I don't think many Christians realize that the Psalms are not just 150 randomly jumbled together hymns, you right. know, Psalms. Right. Now, each Psalm was written by particular individuals like David and Moses and Solomon and Asaph and others, and they were written in historical you know, periods, Mo- Moses being the oldest Psalm. But I think what most people don't recognize is that after the return from exile, very likely, a group of, a group of scholars, maybe Ezra and, and, and some men around him, gathered together these, these Psalms, I believe with the same 
inspiration of the Spirit, the same being carried along by the Spirit as those who wrote these psalms, and arranged these psalms in a particular order into five books. A lot of Christians at least know that much. Most editions of Scripture will say book one, book two, book three, book five. Uh, but there's there's a there's a logic to the ordering, and that that logic of the ordering of the 150 psalms in five books is meant to form us, to form our hearts, to form our our imagination of God's world as He unfolds His work of redemption for His people, uh, and so that understanding that then is part of what's necessary in order to understand the formative purpose, just like. You know, you can quote Romans three twenty three in isolation, right? And there's value to that, right? But it's more formative when you understand it in the flow of its context, yeah. and the same is true with the Psalms. Yeah. You can quote Psalm twenty three. There's benefit in meditating and singing on singing Psalm twenty three mm-hmm. in isolation, but when you recognize how Psalm twenty three fits in the flow from Psalm 15 to Psalm 24, yeah. it's amazing and even richer and more formative in our lives. And yeah. so that that central point, the formative purpose of the Psalms, really drives the whole the whole discussion in the book. That was helpful for, for me. Uh, and, and I you know I, I, I think about the people that, that are a part of our church uh, here and our experience of, of this material particularly, you know, I, I was someone who, you know, Every year, uh, gosh, for the last maybe eight, ten years, probably ten years, uh, read through the Bible kind of chronologically. Sometimes I'll do, you know, a, a mix of different plans, different yeah. plans or what have you. <clears throat> I, I never really, for the most part, would was a student uh, of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Just wasn't St- uh, definitely a student of the New Testament. Uh, definitely, you know, uh, portions of the Old Testament narrative storylines and things like that, but never really unpacked what what is the what is the what is God trying to teach us yeah. through the Psalms in the five books and so I think the the, the class has been helpful and I, and again I, I mentioned the class only in, in that that's that's been our primary interaction mm-hmm. with the material that's actually in the book mm-hmm. um, this was the first time that I got to see and understand what the plan and purpose of God is in the formation of the five books. Yeah. And and once you recognize it, you're able to apply what's in the text to so many, you know, a variety of different aspects yeah. of, of our lives. Yeah. Can, can you kind of speak to why that, why one, probably my situation, which I think is very common. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, very few people really are students of the Psalm right. uh, and, and why that's important for yeah, formation. Yeah. No, again, we tend to approach, you know, in a Bible reading plan, for example, the Psalms almost end up being kind of, um, we read the Psalm as kind of the cherry on top, you know, it's kind (laughs) of, oh, this is an encouraging little poem, you know, Um, or we read something that's maybe a lament or a confession or about the, you know, the the terror of the Amorites or the, you know, Midianites or the Parasites or whomever, (laughs) and we're like, eh, you know, or we read a psalm, or we read some of the imprecatory language, like Psalm 137. What's this with dashing little ones against the rocks? We're like, eh, you know, we live in the New Testament now, and we're we're sort of uh, pushed into this sort of God is nicer than he was then kind of mentality, and we skip over those kind of things. We kind of glide through the hard stuff. So again, you're right. That, that's that's very natural because we've we've been taught to view the Psalms in isolation, right. rather than recognizing the flow. And so uh, there's a couple sort of two sort of lenses through which to view the view the the flow. And I can just introduce them, but yeah, again, encourage yeah. people to buy the book. Yep. One again, as I mentioned earlier, 
uh, is is introduced in Psalms one and two. So how I describe it in the book, really, what we have here, I uh, you know, it, it's articulated as five books, but this is a musical work. So I like to describe it. And this is not uh, this is not new with me. I, I borrowed this from someone else. But to view the Psalter like a cantata, and what yeah, a cantata yeah. is mentioned that in the book. Yeah, yeah. It is it, a, a cantata is you know think about Johann Sebastian Bach would write cantatas. Right. Well, in a cantata, you don't the composer doesn't write all of the music. Right. He borrows, you know, this hymn, this other work by other people, but then he weaves them together into a narrative. He does write some of his own material, and and, and that's really what we have in the Psalms. So you've got all these Psalms written by Moses and Moses and Solomon and Asaph and the sons of Korah and David, right. but the editors wove them together into this five movement cantata. Mm. Then Psalms one and two are really the prelude. They introduce all of the major themes and the purpose of the cantata. Mm-hmm. And the last five psalms, because the, the cantata really ends with, uh, you know, before those last five psalms, uh, are sort of the coda. that They wrap things up. Right. So, the, uh, so to think through the flow, the Psalms 1 and 2, I mean, how Psalm 1 opens is, is telling us what the whole purpose is. Blessed is the man. Right, the whole goal is God wants us to flourish. God wants us to prosper. He wants the the fruition of what He promised to Adam all the way back in the garden when He said, "Be fruitful and multiply and 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 fill the earth." He blessed them and said to them, "Well, how do we do that? We do that." Verse two says, "By delighting in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night." That right. word "meditates" really could be translated "imagine" or "muses." Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a musical component there. And so the whole purpose of the of the of the Psalter is to form our hearts, to form our inner conception mm-hmm. of what it truly means to flourish as one of God's people. Yeah, yeah. In contrast, and this is also introduced right in Psalm one and especially in Psalm two, in contrast to the counsel of the wicked, right. how wicked people imagine true flourishing. Mm-hmm. Psalm two puts it specifically in the language of why do the nations rage and the people Plot, that's actually the same word translated meditates up in Psalm 1. Mm. King James translated, why do they meditate, why, why do they imagine a vain thing? Right. Uh, the, the Legacy Standard Bible is great on this because it translates the same word the same way. Yeah. The righteous person meditates on the law of God. The ungodly person meditates on a vain thing. So an ungodly person wants to flourish, but they have an improper imagination of what true flourishing is. Got it. And then the final component then is, okay, what is true flourishing? Well, what is it that the ungodly people are plotting against and raging against? They're raging against the Lord and his anointed. They're they're raging against the rule of God, which they conceive or imagine is something that needs to be cast off. Right. Right, so that's the difference. Right. Both godly people and ungodly people want to prosper. We want to be blessed. The difference is that the godly person, the righteous person, conceives of blessedness as happily submitting to the rule of God, right. while the ungodly person conceives of blessedness as casting off the rule of God. Mm-hmm. So that's the contrast then that you see woven through mm-hmm. the entirety of these five books. And so one of those lenses through which to see the flow is that these psalms help to shape a proper conception of blessedness, happily submitting to the rule of God amidst a sin-cursed world in which wicked people are, are, are casting that off 
and even in the midst of a world in which we're still battling our own sin, right. which is the reality of why we need these, these psalms of and, confession. And even from a standpoint of, of, see, of, as we live in this you know, sin, sin-stained world, believing that it is the wicked who are actually prospering. Right. Right. As we look around us and we know what's happening, the, the, the benefits, the, the, the advantages that they have, yeah. the, you know, the privilege that use, words used. And, a, and the Psalms specifically mention that. Like, for instance, Psalm 10 is talking about the wicked boasting, hotly pursuing the poor. And it says his ways prosper at all times. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reality. That's why this is so applicable to our day and age, right? Because right? this is exactly, exactly you look in. around us and we think, man, the wicked are just, they're winning. Yes, and in from a from a visible stance, it looks like that. Yes. These psalms are helping us to deal with that, wow. not to ignore it, right? But to recognize the the way in which we ought to respond wow. when we're when we're facing that. Man, kind of so that that's powerful because what I'm hearing you say is that one we need the book because it's going to help us to really capture understand the true need that we have for the psalm not just from a from a historical standpoint but for our day-to-day lives uh, how we can have a proper view of God uh, how we can have a have a proper understanding of of when we see wickedness prospering exactly what's how how that's being promoted by by the enemy and then for us to be conformed into the image of his son through the shaping of our lives based upon God's word yep, yep, yeah absolutely that, yeah. that that's the intent and then, so the question then is, okay, what exactly is that? Is the deliberate ordering of the five books in order to accomplish that? Yeah. And this is where I'll again, I'll just do a kind of a, a satellite view here. But really, you know, we could we could describe the five movements mm-hmm. as a five movement cantata that unfolds the Davidic covenant in God's plan of redemption. Mm-hmm. There's obviously a lot of focus on David, right? I mean, you know, it's people might even call it the Psalms of David. That doesn't mean he wrote all of them, but he is a strong focus. He wrote all of the Psalms of Book One. He wrote Mm -hmm. many of the Psalms of Book Two. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a focus on David, Uh, and right in Psalm Two, um, there's a specific uh, citation and reference to uh, Second Samuel seven, the Davidic covenant. So that's already in view. And that, that's what you see unfold in the book, yeah. which, of course, as Christians, this side of the cross with the full canon of Scripture, we know the Davidic covenant is not something that's only for Israel. Right. It has it has far-reaching implications because out of this Davidic covenant, the promise is the Messiah, mm-hmm. is Jesus Christ, in whom we find, we find our salvation. So that Davidic covenant has far-reaching implications that are, of course, certainly applicable for us in the New Testament age. And so real briefly, book one then focuses on the fact that God made this covenant to David and he, he preserves David mm-hmm. even in the midst of enemies attacking him and even his own sin. Mm. And so you see this progression through the through book one, the first 41 Psalms uh, of, the, of the preservation of David as God's anointed. Book two then expands that to the nations. There's a yes. lot more focus on the on the plurality of the nations of God's people being out among the nations, and of the fact that God is God is is, is expanding and preserving that rule of His anointed among the nations, mm-hmm. climaxing in the final Psalm of Book two, Psalm seventy two, with a Psalm of Solomon, where sort of all of these promises of the Davidic covenant are sort of you know symbolically handed over to yeah, Solomon. Yeah. Um, in, in, in sort of this corporate sense. Um, but then we get to book three, 
And book three is the darkest of them all. Mm-hmm. Book three has specific psalms that allude to the destruction of Judah, mm-hmm. to the destruction of Israel, the destruction of the temp- temple, the exile. And, and so there's this, there's, David is absent from, from this book. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, lot of lament, a lot of distress. And the whole book ends in Psalm, uh, in, in the, at the end of the book, Psalm 89, mm-hmm with asking this poignant question, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your your faithfulness you swore to David? Sounds sounds like, I mean, wh- where we are today. Yes, exactly. Like as, as, as we're looking at culture, society, we're trying to figure out wh- where's God in all this? Right. You know, wh- wh- as a believer navigating life, how, how do we how do we deal with that? Right. And so what I'm hearing you say is it, th- that was a view of those who were who were the writers of, of the psalm at the time. Right. Well, not not even just the psalm. Yes, absolutely the psalm. But but the in particular the editors of this arrangement I got you. in I'm the po- in, you know post exile. Yep. Because here and here is why it's so applicable. I'm glad you brought that up. We we currently as the church, as the New Testament church, live in the same age as Israel returning from exile. Mm-hmm. It's the same, it's actually the same period of time in the outworking of God's plan. Obviously, there's a big event that happens in the middle of that sure. age, Christ coming. Sure, sure. But but this this reality, you know, think about think about the original audience, not of the individual Psalms per se, but of the book in post-exilic period. They've got these promises from God. They experienced the glories of the Davidic rule mm-hmm. and Solomon's rule. Mm-hmm. But then they went into exile. Yeah. And now they've returned from exile and they're thankful for that. But the temple is not in any respect as glorious as it once was. Right. right. They don't have anywhere near the land that they once had. They're just this now small little country. Mm-hmm. They're surrounded by their enemies. They're still just a a slave state to Persia. Mm-hmm. And so that would lead them to ask this sort of question. Yeah. God, you said yes. that in the line of David, which is perpetual, yes. there would be a king always on the throne, right. and that eventually this Davidic rule would extend to the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. And it looked like we were getting there, right. like David right. and Solomon. That's right. books one and two. Like right. it's, it's expanding. Right. Look, it's coming. It's coming. And then all of a sudden, here we are in this little parcel of land, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So... What you said is exactly right. We we are in a very similar situation. Yeah. We look back at the glory days. Yes. We look back at Christ and what he did, and we're so thankful. And we have all these promises about Christ ruling visibly on his throne right. and, and the knowledge of the Lord covering the earth as right. the as as the as the waters cover as the waters cover whatever the language is. Um, you know, we have these promises, but we don't see it happening. Right. So we're tempted to despair. Or to take matters into our own hands. Right. Let's see if we can expand this a little sure, more. Sure. Rather than this is why it's so formative, recognizing what what this what God is communicating to us through the Psalms. Mm. And that leads us then to book four. Yeah. What's really interesting about book four, there's so many things I could say, but kind of the central message. Uh, interestingly, David David's name is not mentioned, so wow. he's kind of absent in that sense. Yeah. He has a couple psalms, which are in a sense sort of giving him voice in the midst of this trouble. Mm-hmm. But the focus really shifts from David, and instead there's an emphasis on, especially in this collection of psalms we sometimes call the enthronement psalms, mm-hmm. there's this emphasis on the fact that Yahweh reigns. Yes. So yes. amidst 
when it looks like God's not keeping his promises, mm-hmm. when it looks like the wicked are failing, we have to come back That's and remind good. ourselves yeah. of the foundational truth yeah. that Yahweh still reigns on his throne. Mm-hmm. Yahweh is king. That's that's the emphasis yeah, throughout good. throughout this book. Good. And and then that understanding that, grasping that, while at the same time continuing to confess our own sin, mm-hmm. our own culpability in this. Mm-hmm. That's the voice David has towards the end of book 4. Right. David actually has psalms of confession where he's sort of acknowledging as the federal head of Israel, I failed, we failed, so we're acknowledging that. But if we acknowledge our own sin, recognize the the sovereignty of God, he's still on his throne, he, he will keep his promises, yeah. we can have confidence in that. Yes. Then that leads us finally in Psalm 104, at the very last verse of Psalm 104, before we get to book 5, to this climactic point where we find the word, Hallelujah. Mm. Praise the Lord. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people a lot of people don't realize yeah. that's the first time in the entire Psalter that Hallelujah appears. Wow. We think, oh, that's the Psalms everywhere. are about praise. Right, right, it's everywhere. Right. right. Doesn't appear till here. Because you gotta get through all, all of this yeah. before you can truly praise praise the Lord, which is the goal. Yes. And that's then where we go in book five. You know, again, there's a lot of lot of hills and valleys and things happening in, in book five. Yeah. But book five then is leading us to that praise specifically by foreshadowing David's greater son. You know, think about Psalm 110. David said, you know, the Lord, this is a Psalm of David, the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, well, who who is David's Lord? Yes. Right? Yes. Explicit foreshadowing of David's greater son, yes. this messianic psalm. Climaxing, you know, foreshadowing the climax when David's greater son will sit on his throne, when he will accomplish sin and death, not only what he will do on the cross, but what he will do at his second coming, right. when when sin will be no more, yes. when there is no more wickedness. Yes. You get to Psalm 105 and it's gone, right? Yes. All of that wickedness is wow. gone, and that's what you know. Book five is sort of leading us progressively through all of this, meant to form this within us, so that we we can respond to our present reality. Uh, in the way that God intended, very similarly to how he wanted the Israelites to respond when they returned from exile. This is all incredibly helpful. Um, and, and again, we, we're blessed here to, to have you walk through this. I think this, this book should be something that every, every pastor should get. Uh, I think it's a, it's, it's something that every uh, discipleship pastor uh, should mm-hmm. have, uh, first for himself, right. uh, and then for every class, because this, is, this has been eye-opening as you've walked through um, you know the, the books, how they're broken up. What 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 was the intent of of, of the authors who brought these these sections together, uh, having our, our formation in mind? I want to ask you just a couple more questions about this. Um, how do you anticipate? Because I've, I've I've already encouraged pastors, church leaders to get the book. How do you anticipate or see this book being used in yeah. in the local church? Yeah, absolutely. You alluded to, you know, we, we've sort of been pilot testing mm-hmm. a teaching curriculum to go along with this, because right. I didn't, I didn't, I haven't done all the teaching for this. We've got right. several classes. The teaching is, is, um, is spread out. Um, and even I was out of town and someone else would even teach my own yeah. class. So I developed a, a study guide that goes right with the book that goes with each chapter, kind of isolates the main point of the right. chapter, some things to point, you know, to to highlight yeah. some of the key the key emphases of each chapter, some discussion questions. Mm-hmm. So that's that's good. So I I hope I think it'd be it'd be wonderful if churches would use it in that way. Like mm-hmm. like take fifteen weeks and do a a Sunday night series, or do a Bible study, mm-hmm. or do a Sunday school series, yeah. or it could be done in small groups yeah. where uh, you even give the book out to everybody. 
and everybody's reading it, but then you use that study guide to come in and with the discussion questions. Yeah kind of meditate and talk about the main points. So obviously it's great for an individual to, to use, but I'm hoping that this will be used in, in full churches. Yeah. By the way, that, that study guide is free on our website. Mm-hmm. So you can download it. You can print as wow. many copies as yeah. you want. Uh, we've also got uh, got one that you can buy that's spiral bound if you want to. You, know, you can print it out yourself yeah, or yeah. you can buy a, a, a pre-printed version. But again, trying to help to give resources for people to be able to use it in a small group or a Sunday school or a, even a Sunday night series or something like that. One of the things I want to get back to is, is, is the music part of it. Cause we, we kind of talked about just the text, the text of scripture, the books themselves, how they're organized, why that's important in our, in our formation. <clears throat> I think those things are, are, are important, but you really, I mean, the, the title of the book is musing on God's music. Right. right? And so as we kind of think through, uh, and, and you already said, you know, you're not, you're not a, a, a Psalm onlyist, right? right? So, mm-hmm. so it's not, we, we only sing Psalm, but what, what, what is, what, what would be the point that you would push in that direction as it relates yeah. to the musical aspect, how the psalm should be used in our worship, kind of because one of the one of the things we ha- we talked about, I think at the at the at the end of our, our class was we were looking at the order of worship, right? Yeah. And we were trying to figure out, okay, based upon these five books and and kind of the order and structure of those, how does that how do those how does that blend with the shaping of our worship and right. how we how we organize what happens during during that you know during a worship service? Yep. How would you speak to that? Yeah. So a couple things. Number one, in, in a gospel shaped worship service order, which is what, again, historically Reformed churches have done, our church does, we, we advocate and teach in our workshops, etc. What you find then is that all of the Psalms fit at some point in that gospel shape, whether it be revelation, adoration, confession, propitiation, proclamation, dedication, communion, etc. Mm-hmm. And so that's one way of, of approaching the use of the Psalms in the context of a gospel-shaped worship service. Right. And then musically, you know, one of the things that we haven't talked about, but I talk about in the book a lot, especially towards the end, is the poetry of the Psalms, right? right? These are not just prose, narrative, didactic right. treatments of biblical theology. Right. They are poetry. There's imagery. There, there's, there's art. And so then when we think about, okay, in our 21st century context, what music are we going to set to these poems? Well, it has to be music that is fitting and suitable to the kinds of poetry and expressions and and formation that is taking place in the Psalms themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, you know, again, God's people throughout history have sung the Psalms. So there is a rich tradition of Psalm singing that goes back to the early church. The early church emphasized Psalm singing uh, continued on during the Middle Ages, the Reformation sort of recovered hymnody in the vernacular, mm-hmm. but then right alongside psalmody in the vernacular, especially in the Reformed tradition, the English tradition has a has a wealth of valuable resources. Unfortunately, that got, kind of got cut, cut off in the 18th century when things shifted, especially uh, in sort of in, in Baptist uh, circles in America, especially, we shifted from singing. We shifted from being exclusive exclusive psalmodists oh, yeah. to get getting rid of them altogether. Right, and a lot of that has to do with Isaac Watts. I love Watts, but I think Watts got it wrong when he got when he when it came to the Psalms, yeah. um, and so people began to sing Isaac Watts's paraphrases of the Psalms, right. which are good. They're good hymns, right. but they're not the Psalms. Right. And that was sort of a gateway drug to get rid of psalms altogether. Yeah. So there's there's been a recovery in recent years, I think, which is promising. Let's at least bring back the psalms, yeah. and let's let's find ways to sing these psalms in 
you know, English that we can sing, that we can understand, yep. in sort of modern metrical poetry yep. to tunes that that are you know accessible and congregational, yep. um, and that's really what I what I would love to see yep. happen. Yep. All of this is good stuff. I'm just going to encourage, recommend uh, get, getting on G3, G3Men.org. I think they can find the book there, but where else can they find the book? Yeah, I mean, the book's on G3. It's on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, there's a Kindle version, yep. and then, yeah, the, and then the print version. As well. And then the, the free curriculum uh, is also on. I, I, you just can't beat that. I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, first of all, you get a book, right? You, you order the book. Uh, you have it. It's available. It's to you. But then you can go on our website and download, you know, free curriculum for the book and then pass it out to classes and, and utilize it. I don't know anybody else is doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it's, it's definitely something that should be happening that we need to happen. Anything that I did not cover as we kind of wrap up. That well, we, I would just, one more resource I would recommend is yeah. something that we, that we just recently released yeah. and, and open pre-orders for. Cause a lot of people, you know, people have started to buy the book. They've started to express appreciation. And the next question then is, I want to sing the Psalms. Where where can I find right. a place to sing the Psalms? Right. Well, we have just opened pre-orders for a brand new Psalter hymnal mm. called Psalms and Hymns to the Living God that we're publishing through G3 Press. Uh, it contains a metrical version of every one of the 150 Psalms, wow. in some cases more than one. Yeah. Uh, Psalm 119 has 24, you know, because we didn't, you know, we didn't have one yep. one setting for one all, song, all right. the whole thing. Right. So all the Psalms are in there. Uh, many of the tunes of the Psalms are tunes to hymns that people already know. Mm. There are some that are not maybe, but most of them are. So they're very easily used in in a family or in a church. And then in addition to the 150 Psalms, we have 282 additional hymns as well. Wow. Um, so this is going to be a great resource. Uh, our church is going to be using it. And uh, we hope many churches, families, individuals will uh, will get that that hymnal, yeah, Psalms that, and that, Hymns to the Living God. It's amazing. Uh, I remember many a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning coming in. You're at 6 o'clock in the morning grinding out some of the stuff, putting stuff on the screens and stuff that I have no— well, This is the second hymnal I've done now. Yeah. And it, like Becky the other day, it's like, please don't do another hymnal. <laughs> yeah. It is just so much work with so many details. Yeah. And, so, but we're excited. Yeah. It's, it's a labor of love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, go to g3men.org. Check that out. Pre-order Psalms, hymns uh, to the living God. Psalms and hymns to the living God. Yep. Uh, definitely uh, pre-order that. Get this book, Musing on God's Music. Uh, definitely get that. I think it will be incredibly helpful to you personally. I know it has been for me, for my family, uh, and, and the shaping of our thought process about worship, about how how we sing, what we sing, um, and, and then again, even a, in a, on a deeper level, just having a clear understanding of, of the Psalms, mm-hmm. uh, how, they, how they're formed, how, how they were organized, and how they should speak to our lives uh, even today. So with that said, anything else you got? Nope. 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 That said, thank you so much for joining us for Honest Conversations in Black and White.